0: Can you, uh, is that good? Is that a good volume? Yeah. Alright, so we're going to get started tonight back in Acts. And we're going to be starting in Acts chapter 6. So turn with me, if you will, to Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. And we're going to talk tonight about the work of the church. So, before we get into that, though, I want to start with uh Another verse. Galatians 5, verses 13 through 14. For you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For all the laws fulfilled in one word, even in this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself so I'm gonna ask you all a couple of questions just just questions really just to think about just to consider yourself for a little while first one what is the work of the church what are the roles in your mind what are the roles of the pastor Beyond that, what are the roles of the members individually? You know, Blueprint, which that's what this is, Blueprint, God's Design for Your Life is the full title. We don't ever use that. Blueprint works well enough. But uh, Blueprint was planted originally with the purpose of redefining redefining church in our generation. Now, I want to be really clear that that's, not redefining it as far as giving it our own meaning as much as it is taking, taking people where they are and redefining our perception of church back to the biblical view, right? So God has already defined what a church is, and we, want to, I ju- we just wanted to redefine that in people's minds the way he originally did. So as we started Blueprint here, what, two, three years ago? I don't even know now. Two years ago? Two, three? Nobody knows what they're talking about. Wow. All right, cool. All right, so a couple years ago, we spent a whole year discovering the ins and outs of being a church, operating a church. And uh, we spent a whole year going through 1 Corinthians, which is really, I mean, this is not a pun, but really is the Blueprint for church life. It's the book of 1 Corinthians. Very interesting. You know, after that, uh, we moved on and we spent a few months exploring the relationship between the law and the gospel, right? Clarifying the gospel message for everybody to understand. And now the Lord has led us into the book of Acts and so we've been we've been looking at and we've been discovering What is the biblical model for a growing and explosive church, right? So it's been a pretty interesting walk. But here's the thing. There's one thing that it doesn't matter where you are, what you're doing. There's one thing that separates a healthy church from an unhealthy church. And that is how do its members view their own image and identity. I hate that word, it's a very youth groupy word, but it's very applicable, so I'm using it. How do the church members, that's y'all guys, and me, you know, I'm a member as well. How do the church members view their own image and identity as part of the church? It's very crucial. And depending on how someone views those things has a great impact on their church life and the life of the the church they're a part of. So let me ask another couple of questions. So who, in your mind, who are you? Who are you? What are you here for tonight? What What are you here for when you show up on Wednesdays or on Sundays? And what is it that you have been called to do? Who are you? What are you here for, and what is it that you've been called to do? These are important questions. The way we answer questions like this tell tell us a lot about ourselves, and they show us a lot about where we are in our relationship to God and where we are in our relationship to others right so we're gonna look at we're gonna look at answering some of these questions tonight. We're going to look at answering uh, the questions, what is the work of the church? What is the work of the leadership or the pastors? And where is it that you fit in? So turn with me, Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7, and let's read. Now in those days, when the number of disciples was multiplying, there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists, because their widows were neglected in a daily distribution. Then the twelve summoned the multitude of disciples and said, It is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And the saying pleased the whole multitude. And so they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit, and Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenius, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch, whom they set before the apostles. And when they had prayed, they laid hands on them. Then the word of God spread, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. Okay. So let's look at this for a minute. Let's jump back to to verse 1. So now in those days, the same times that the apostles are are rising up and doing many wonders, the same time as the, the church is beginning to grow, it says, When the number of disciples were multiplying, there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. So let's talk about that for a second. I want us to pass this up. So what's really going on here? How many of you know what the difference between Hebrews and Hellenists are? Anybody? Okay. So Hellenists were, yeah, they were mostly Greek. Okay. So... They may be Jews, but they probably speak Greek, and many of uh many Hellenists had even accepted some of the Greek culture a little bit. maybe they were raised that way um, whatever so there's a little bit of a cultural difference, okay and trust me, the jews the Jews would be real would be real clear that there was a difference between them and the Hellenists, even if it was just a little bit okay and so here we have these all these Jews, some of which you know are a little bit more Greek than, uh, than the Hebrews, and they feel like, the Hellenists feel like, that their widows are being neglected as food and, and, and items are going out, okay? So they feel like there's some bias, is basically what's going on. So that's the first thing. The second thing is just realizing what does this say about the state of the church? Okay, so the church has been growing. And suddenly, apparently, it's grown to such, to such heights that they're not only taking care of widows, probably taking care of orphans, right? Probably doing a whole lot of other things. Not only taking care of widows, but so much that they have a daily distribution. You know? How many, uh, I wonder how many churches in Kerrville send a couple of people out every single day to bring food and clothing and finances, whatever, to widows. Maybe there's not that need. I'm not saying that we're doing anything wrong. I'm just saying that that's, to me, that's pretty significant, right? And it shows me that these are people who are not just showing up to church, not just listening to a message and going home, but that their love for Christ has completely transformed their life and has consumed the way they live, right? And so we kind of see the state of the church, that it's, it's not just a, a large church, but it's a, it's a healthy and it's a ministering body, okay? So let's move on to, to verse 2. After this uh, uh, complaint arose, it says, Then the twelve, so the twelve apostles, they summoned the multitude of the disciples and said, It is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Man, that's so important. I don't know if you understand how important that is. I understand how important this is because I am, I'm a pastor, so it's a little bit more touchy. And there's a lot of times where I run off to do a whole lot of things that seem good that I really don't need to be doing. There's a lot of times where really I should be studying the Word of God, I should be in prayer and I should be focused on the body that God has, has brought me to minister to and I get caught up in other things. Sometimes even even good things, even even Christian service, but maybe things that I wasn't necessarily called to. Maybe things that I could have let somebody else have the opportunity to go serve at. And so this is really important because we have, to, we have to either know or be seeking out an understanding of what are we called for. Where are we supposed to be serving? What is the, the gift or the talent that God has given us? Where is it that we feel fulfilled and that whatever, what, where, wherever, whatever we're doing works, right? Because if you re- feel really, really great building houses, but they all fall down, Probably not where you should be. But where do you feel fulfilled? And where do you bear fruit? And if you don't know, maybe, maybe we just need to serve more. But it's very important to know what you've been called to do, right? Because then we can put things in perspective and we can begin to prioritize things in our life. And that's something I've really been focusing on lately in my own life is priority, in fact, we just got through this last week of finals, Whew. and I'm so it's so nice to breathe for a second, you know, but pretty much immediately, I'm going to be printing out another Jesus journal, and I'm going to be scheduling my days, and I'm going to start putting things in priority, because everything's been everywhere, no. and it hasn't been good, Right? But, you know, we've all been called to serve. Yet many people have the wrong idea of what, who the ministry is supposed to rest on. I want you to think about this. If you've been in the Bible school, you've already got the the jump start on this message because we were talking about this not too long ago. But let me ask you something. Do you know who's supposed to be doing baptisms in the church? Do you know... Who's supposed to be uh, sharing Christ in the workplaces? Do you know who's supposed to be feeding the hungry? Who's supposed to be clothing the homeless and taking in orphans? The body of Christ. Now, that doesn't mean friendship Bible, you know, you just give away the number and let them call the pastor and he'll take care of it. No, 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 no. It doesn't mean you send them to the First Baptist. It doesn't mean you send them to the Trinity. This building is not a church unless you're in it. This building is useless unless Christians inhabit it for the seek of praising God. See, the body of Christ is all of us, and that's something that I know you're, most of you are well, well aware of. But that is where the ministry rests on the shoulders of the body, the individual members, not just the head, not just one hand, right, not just the pastors. I want you to look at something, Ephesians, I've got it on the bottom of the list if you want to scroll down, Um, Ephesians chapter 4 verses 11 through 16 tells us something about how church should actually operate. And in Ephesians 4, 11 through 16, Paul writes this. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. Now listen to this, verse 12. For the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we have all come to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children, tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, in the cunning craftiness and deceitful plotting, but speaking truth and love, may grow up in all things into Him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Good Lord, that is a lot to say. That's one sentence. (laughs) Uh, That's Paul. But let's break that down just a little bit. And what is he saying? Go back to verse 12. In verse 11, it said, he himself gave these apostles, prophets, teachers, things like that. In verse 12, for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. So God gave these, these men, these pastors, these leaders to equip saints to do work of the ministry. So who, who are saints? Well, biblically speaking, in 1 Corinthians 1-2, it says that saints are all who in every place call on the name of Jesus Christ. So next time I say, hey, so who are, biblically speaking, who are Who are saints? I want everybody to do this, this guy, this gal, and that guy too, yeah. The Bible calls anyone and everyone who trusts themselves to the Lord Jesus Christ a saint because they're people being sanctified. That's all it means. Whatever, whatever you've heard in other churches, whatever you've heard in denominations about who and who is not saints, those are not biblical truths, right? Right? You are saints if you believe in Christ. And so pastors and elders are called to come along the other saints and to build them up to do the work of the ministry, to be equipped for every good work, so that then the body, a complete body, joined together and knit together in love can go out and serve as we need to serve. Pretty interesting. So it says, it is not desirable that we should leave the Word of God and serve tables. Now, I want you to understand something. The apostles were not too good to serve tables, okay? That's not what they're saying. The apostles did not think they were too important to set up chairs. Trust me, I guarantee you that up to this point, that they had probably been pretty involved in all of this, okay? Okay. The distribution to the widows were probably started by the apostles. Okay? And they're not saying that serving widows is not as important. No, 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 no. But what they are saying, and what each one of you need to understand, is that they knew what they were called to do. And because they knew that they were called to preach the word, to be in prayer, and to to uh, plant ch- you know plant churches really. They knew where their focus and their efforts needed to be. How many of y'all ever feel like you're pulled in about seventeen different directions? <laughs> there you go. Some people got two hands up, right? So where are you supposed to go? You just say yes to as much as you can until. You can't do any of it and then you back off a couple things until it kind of works out that's not that's not a good way to do it I've done that you know what are you supposed to do see we need to know where where are we supposed to be serving if you don't know if you're sitting in the it, here today and you're like I have no idea I don't even know where to begin Well, then you need to be looking, where do I have the opportunity to serve? And pray and serve joyfully, and God will begin to guide you and show you as you show him that you have that desire to be useful. And he'll put you in the right place. But for those who have some understanding, we need to shift and prune off those excess things and put things in focus. Right, and so they so that's what the they're doing. They say, you know what? We know what we're here for. We know, you know, what God has called us to do. And so it's not real smart for us to do the ministry of the word and to go church to church and to serve the widows and to pull in the. You see what I'm saying? And so, as Ephesians four says. They've equipped the saints to do the work of the ministry. So, verses 3 through 5. Therefore, brethren, he tells them seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business, but we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And the saying pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit, Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenius, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch, whom they set before the apostles. And when they had prayed, they laid hands on them. So, this is, this is not what most people, I think, going to church expect. But as a church grows and as the kingdom of God begins to reach into other people's lives, as God starts to soften your heart and you begin to know your neighbors, as you begin to share Christ with your coworkers, as you begin to to pray with the janitor, you know, whatever it is, wherever God's sending you, you know what happens? There, There needs to be met. And many times, just within our own body, within our own church, there are needs to be met. So whose job is that? Do we just hope there's enough in the church budget to you know, knock it out and we move on? No. With the apostles, that's not what they did. They realized that there was a vast ministry and there was so much so that they needed to have a daily distribution. And the apostles probably did the the best thing they could have done, right? They brought people out from among the body, from among the members, and they said, you do it. You be faithful in this work. You go love the widows and the orphans. You be accountable for the goods that God has given us. You give and work as well. And so there has to be a time for all of us where we step out of the crowd and begin to serve somehow. And so, you know what's happening here? Anybody ever heard the word deacon? This right here, Acts chapter 6, this is the first account of church deacons. Right here. It's nothing special. It's really not. It's important. It's really important, but it's nothing as, quite as special as we make it out to be. But these people weren't just chosen as, uh, at random, but they were chosen with a purpose. You know, it's kind of funny, too. I want you to see this. Just a little bit of wisdom, a little insight in case you're ever in administration. So you've got these, these Greek Jews complaining that the Greek women aren't getting treated as well as the Hebrews. Right? Right? So was that really happening? Uh, who knows? But it's interesting that all seven of the men that they picked, Stephen, Timon, and all those other guys, and they said, hey, we're going we're to put these men up to handle this issue, to go f- put the, the food out for the widows, to make sure that the Hellenists and the Hebrews are all getting fed properly. You know who they pick? Seven Hellenists. seven Seven Greek people. Just kind of interesting that, you know, the church is supposed to be a body of love. supposed to be a body that cares for itself. And it's never fun when you have a a really close group of people and suddenly there's, you know, disputes and there's people are angry at each other and people don't trust each other. That gets really old really fast. And so they don't just grab a couple of guys and say, hey, go take care of this. No, no, no. They grab seven people, seven Hellenists, the ones who were having the issue, and they set them in charge. So that if there was another issue, nobody could say they were biased, right? Does that make sense? Does everybody catch what I'm saying? Or is this going whoop? If it's going whoop, I'm sorry, you can ask me later. But that's a little bit of wisdom there, Right? But notice also, what does it take to be someone who's called as a servant of the church? They called for seven men among the body who were of good reputation, full of wisdom, and full of the Holy Spirit to set over their ministry so that they could devote themselves to prayer and to the ministry of the world. Or of the word. You know, it always kind of blows my mind when I read that. Cuz who knows how many there's hundreds of people, thousands of people. And they said seven men that have a good character, that are wise and have the holy you know, full of the holy spirit. That shouldn't be very narrow in our churches. Right? If we if we joined up with another church and we said, "Hey, out of all these, you know, these two, three churches, we need seven men" who have good character, got to be a good dude, good testimony, right? You gotta be wise, and you gotta be full of the Spirit. We should have too many options. We should have no, we should be so lost in who to pick. Cause those are, man, that's basic, right? That should be a basic requirement for us as Christians that if someone right now was like, you know what, I need someone of good character who's full of wisdom and full of the Spirit to come do this job, everyone in this room should be a first pick. Because if we walk with Christ and He's given us His Spirit, those things should come natural to us as we seek after Him. These are things that we, we achieve as we abide in Christ as we learn where it is that God is calling us to serve, and when we begin to keep our focus on him, right? Because we're all called to carry this ministry together. So verses, uh, last couple of verses, verses six and seven. Um, Once they set these people before the apostles, the apostles then had prayed and they laid hands on them, okay? So that's basically commissioning these men into this position, saying that yes, you know, these are the people we're going to give the authority over these things, okay? They lay hands on them. And then verse 7, And then the word of God spread, and the number of disciples greatly multiplied in Jerusalem, and, many, uh, and great many of priests were obedient to the faith. Now, last point I want to make. If you go back and you read through Acts, it's like every time there's a new subject, Every time something different happens in Acts up to this point, and they just like, kind of switch views, you know what they say? Oh, and by the way, the disciples were multiplying greatly. Oh, and God was adding to the church. And then he took a left, and the disciples were multiplying greatly. And so even here at the beginning of chapter 6, it says, In those days when the number of disciples were multiplying, Yet at the end of this, after they've, they've established new leadership, they've, they've set up deacons, and they've allowed the body to, to take on more, more of the ministry themselves. It says in verse 7, oops, where'd it go? Just went too many pages. In verse 7, the number of the disciples multiplied greatly. To me, I hear exponentially much more than it had, right? And so what I'm trying to get across here is everybody in this room is being called by the Lord. That's why you're here. Everybody in this room is being equipped. Every time you open up the Word of God, every time you pray, every time you join together, you're being equipped with the truth to do His work. Okay? And we have freedom to serve one another through Christ and love. So, you know, when people, if people around you are not hearing the gospel, did you know that's not the pastor's fault? You know, if people in your workplace aren't hearing about Jesus, that's not, not the worship team's fault. It's not the deacon's fault. some of y'all go to bigger churches in here so gets a little bit more a little bit more personal but you know when when f- when the needs of your neighbor aren't being fulfilled that's not the church's fault unless we understand that we're the church and all the b- burden falls on us right so when you realize that your neighbor is in need you also need to realize that that's been given to you to fulfill. When, the, when there's ministry and work for the church to do for the good of others, when there's administration of goods that need to go to those who have no goods, that's been given to you to fulfill. The extension and the blessing of God's kingdom, it's already been given to you personally. And God has given it to you to give to others. And so they've been given to all of us as one body, as one work to share and to do. The work of the church, guys, is to take care of those in need, to love each other unconditionally, to bear one another's burdens, and to declare the goodness and the love of God, both in word and in deed. Why else would Jesus say, you who have n- two tunics, give to one. Give to the one who has none. Why else would Isaiah 58 say, to share your bread with the hungry and take in the homeless? Why else would Jesus say, if someone forces you to go mile, man, go two, just because. That's the work of the church, Right? The work of the pastors, the, the elders, apostles, prophets, are simply to help build all the members up so that they can be more effective in what they've already been called by the Lord. And the work of the members is to take on those responsibilities which God has put in front of them, both individually, that means your own time, your own effort, your own finances, your own bread, whatever, and corporately as a body together to fulfill those needs. And so again, I want to end with just the, uh, the same verse we started with in Galatians five thirteen through 14, where Paul writes and tells us, for you, brethren, have been called to liberty, to freedom. Only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, right? For your own desires. Oh, well, you know, I can go over here as long as I just, you know, I don't take that one extra step, and I can live like this, and God's got me. Grace is good. No, 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 no. Do not walk in liberty as an opportunity for your flesh, but through love, serve one another. For all the laws fulfilled in one word, even in this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And I believe that when the members of the church, that means all members everywhere that believe in Christ, when they begin to understand who they are as part of that body and what God is calling them to do, not their pastors, not their elders, not their deacons, what God is calling them to do, I believe we'll see churches growing. I believe we'll see more families getting saved. I believe we'll see more baptisms. I believe we'll see, you know, more love and more Jesus. And that's what I want to see. More Jesus. So let's pray. Father God, I thank you so much for tonight, Lord. And I thank you, Father, that Lord the work is the, lo- the work is great the harvest is plentiful Lord but Lord Jesus you tell us to pray for more laborers you tell us to pray for more workers that come under the harvest and so Father God tonight I do pray that from this room Lord from our, from our little part of the body Father God from our little shoulder or elbow whatever we are here that you would call out more of these people into your work that you would open up more of our eyes to see the harvest, that you would pour out more love into the hearts for us to give and to sacrifice and to go the extra mile, even for those who give us no thanks for it. And so, Lord Jesus, we just praise you tonight, but Lord, I pray that you allow us to praise praise you in our actions more than our words. So, Lord, convict us and guide us in all your ways. And bless everyone here in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.